Hi. Welcome to another life-changing message from NBC Church. We hope that this message encourages, challenges and equips you in your walk with Christ. Please consider leaving us a review for the podcast on your chosen platform as it helps with getting the gospel out to thousands of people. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would take the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts and make it acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Our world is such that governments are more interested in the docility of the the people rather than the morality of the people. Every uh, offences that should be prosecuted are those only against property or person, but everything else is permitted so long as there is consent. Public prostitution is to be encouraged and in the theatres all manner of perversion are encouraged. But anyone who speaks against this freedom is to be pilloried and cast out by a free people. That was written That's a rough paraphrase of what Augustine wrote in about 400 AD as he surveyed the collapse of Rome. And it could have been written today to us. So we live in a collapsing society. Western society is collapsing around us. That is is the reality. Things like lockdowns and the COVID are outward attacks on our society, but our society has collapsed from the inside. That's what happened to Rome, and that's what's happened. Not happening, it's happened to us. How do we live at such a time as this? Augustine wrote The City of God, that massive book, to help people to live when Rome had collapsed. And he said there were two cities, the City of God, which never changed under the incorruptible immortal king, and the city of men which will rise and fall and crumble nations will come and go. And central to that city of God is the authority of Jesus Christ, the absolute authority over this world and over all of our lives. And that's the theme that comes out in this passage from Matthew chapter 8, the authority of Jesus Christ. And the passage also tells us about that which links us to that authority, which is faith, real faith. And it tells us what cuts us off from that authority, which is unbelief. And so we want to look at authority, faith, and unbelief today. At the end of the sermon in Matthew 7, it says, The people were astonished, for he taught them as having authority, and not as the scribes. The scribes spend hours debating what this verse meant or what that verse meant. As a a Jewish friend of mine said, two Jews, six opinions. But Jesus comes through and says, if you do what I tell you, your life will stand. You'll build your life on a rock. If you don't, it'll collapse. There is no, um, no dodging you have to do what I say. 
to make your life successful. And in, the, in Matthew 8, the writer sets out examples of this authority. The, the, the structure of the book of Matthew is that he gives us a block of teaching, 5, 6, and 7, and then 8 and 9, an account of what Jesus does. Chapter 10 is another uh, set of teaching, and 11 and 12, another account. Chapter 13, you have the parables. So that's, that's his style in the book. And these events in 8 and 9 take place in Galilee. In Matthew 4.24, we read that Jesus left Jordan and went to Galilee. And for the next 15 chapters, right up to Matthew 19, verse 1, where it says he left Galilee and went to Judea, this, this all happens in Galilee. We know that he goes down once a year to Jerusalem. We know that from the Gospel of John. But this is his Galilean ministry. So when God sent his son... And he began his public ministry. He, be, he had three years in a country area. It's like the, uh, Billy Graham coming and spending three years in the southeast. That's what God did. And you see here, as he comes down from the mountain, there meets him a leper. And we've read the story. He says, you can, if you will, you can make me clean. He says, I will, and reaches out his hand and touches him and makes him clean. And he demonstrates his authority over this illness that they couldn't control, leprosy. But he also demonstrates his authority over their traditions because the Bible had commanded that a leper had to be unclean, but the Jews had traditions. You can't touch a leper. And he reaches out and touches him. He's in authority over, over illness that we can't control and over our human traditions. And from verse 5, we have the wonderful story of the centurion, whose servant is sick, and he comes to Jesus. And he says something remarkable. He says, I am a man under authority. It's the same word. It's got the sense of conferred power, delegated empowerment. So the centurion was saying this, I've been given a position by Rome from my prefect tracing right back to Caesar. And so when I say something to my soldier, I'm saying it with all the authority of the empire. And he does it. I say, go, and he goes, he comes, and he comes. But he recognized that in Jesus... He was dealing with something similar, but not one who had authority from a human government. He had authority. The power he exercised was to break men's bodies. That's all a soldier could do. But he, this one that he saw had authority from the king of heaven to make men's bodies. And so he says, you don't have to come to my house. Just say the word and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus says it and the servant is healed. We read, go on to read that he, he goes to Simon's house and his mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And he heals her. He has authority over the COVID-19 condition. He can deal with it in a moment. He then casts out diseases and demons, casts out demons and heals diseases. And then in verse 23 and 27, we come to the storm. So they cast out into the sea, 
and there's a great storm. Seismic is the word. It's really violent. And they wake him. They say, Master, save us. We perish. And he rebukes the wind and the waves. And they, and they season. What manner of man is this, they say, that even the winds and the seas obey him? And what manner of man is this? I haven't been much at sea, but we were going some years ago to Tasmania on the ferry and four meter swells, the boat was pitching up and down. I had too much to eat at dinner. I was afraid it was all, it would all come up, but it didn't. Um, but the, just imagine this man going up on the deck and saying, be quiet, and the sea stops. His authority over the, over the wind and the seas at the end of the chapter, he comes to these two demons, possessed men. And they say, what have we to do with thee, thou son of God? And Jesus says, go, and the demons leave them. Authority of the demons. In Matthew 9, as we read, he has authority to forgive sin. He has authority to raise the dead. He has authority to cure an incurable disease of the woman. And finally, in, when we get to Matthew 10, he has authority to give this power, some of this power to others, because he equips his disciples to go and cast out demons and heal the sick. Jesus Christ has all authority. And, and after the resurrection, he gives us this wonderful word, all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we need to get this truth burned into our souls to live with stability in a collapsing society. That all authority is given to Jesus Christ. Take Matthew 28. Memorize it. Pray it in. Because the authority of God, of Jesus Christ, rests not just over the big issues of society, but over each one of our lives. Not one thing comes to us apart from his authority. And we can take everything to him because he is in authority. The authority of Jesus Christ is that which gives us stability in a collapsing world. But what links us to this authority is faith. And we see this in the story of the centurion because Jesus, when the centurion says, look, you don't have to come to my house, just say the word. Jesus says, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. That's in verse uh, 16. There are only two people in the scriptures that Jesus said something like this to, to the centurion and to the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. She comes to him and says, Lord, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. He says, I was not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She says, Lord, help me. He says, it's not right to take the children's food and give it to the dogs. She says, true, Lord, but I only need a crumb. She says, a woman, great is your faith. And her daughter was healed in that self-same hour. So what is it, this great faith? It is recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ and recognizing that he can deal with this situation, whatever it is. He's completely, completely in control. And so when God puts you in a situation, 
which is different or new or perplexing or, or has broken in upon you, know this, that God, Jesus Christ, has complete confidence in his ability to deal with that situation through you. He's completely confident of his ability. Not of your ability, but of his. He is completely confident. But we see another type of faith in this chapter, and that's in the storm. Because when they wake Jesus, the first thing he does is he says, Why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? And it's interesting as you read the rest of the verse, then he arose and rebuked the wind. So he's asleep in Rembrandt's painting. He's asleep at the back on a pillow. They come and wake him. He doesn't get up. He's lying there and he says, Why are you so fearful? Or you have little faith. And that word little is faith that's low in quality. So it's real faith, because without faith we can't please God, but it's faith mingled with fear, and so it's low in quality. But at least it is real faith. And so they come to Jesus with all their fears, and he rebukes the wind and the waves, and it ceases. So all of us here are somewhere on this spectrum, all of us who are in Christ. If you have come to put your faith and trust with all your heart in Jesus Christ, you have genuine faith. But we're all on this spectrum from little faith to great faith. And it should be the burden of our heart to say, Lord, increase our faith. Cause me to grow more in confidence and more living in the reality of your authority. How do we do that? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So we need to spend time in the Bible. There is no other way through reading, studying, memorizing, meditating. And that's why it's such a great thing that you young people are memorizing the scripture. Because that will never leave you. Those verses you memorize will never leave you. And one day you might be lying in bed with some trouble and a verse will come to you and carry you through. So keep at it. Keep at it. And then when prayer. So in Matthew 17, Jesus said when he was faced with the demon-possessed boy, this kind cannot come out except by prayer and fasting. And so it seems as, as we engage in prayer engaging fasting, our faith starts to grow. And thirdly, we need to exercise our faith. When God puts something before you as a step, take it. Take it. I was on my son's bookcase down at the Mount. There was a book by John Piper. It said something like, risks are worth taking or something like that. Could, I could be wrong in the title. But God calls us to take a step, and sometimes it's risky, but from a human perspective. But if God's calling us, take it. Take it. The, the Great Commission says, go, go ye. When Amy Carmichael was going to go, wanting to go to India, her mother said, go ye. And we must be those who hear that voice and take a step, take a step. And encourage others to take a step. We've got a book on our bookshelf at home called Safety Last. It's a story of the great missionary endeavors in the South Pacific. 
amazing little stories. Safety last. That's what Jesus calls us to. But the thing that, and as we do that, we'll find that our faith will grow. And we can come to a position, perhaps as this man, great faith, because all he did was believe that Jesus Christ had all authority and worked on that basis. So I said, you don't have to come to my house. Just say the word. And we can grow into that. But the thing to avoid, to hate, this passage tells us, is unbelief. Because I want you to complete this sentence. So the man had been, the two men had been healed. And verse 34, Behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they besought him. How would you complete that sentence? If you read in John 4, when the woman goes back to the town, they besought him that he might tarry with them. And that whole town was saved. But this passage says something that's really, really sad. They besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. Please go away. But what's even sadder than verse 34 is chapter 9, verse 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. Because when we say to God, please go, he does. He does. And as you read Matthew 9, the paralytic is healed and his sins are forgiven. The tax collectors come to Matthew's house. Jairus's daughter is raised from the dead. The woman with the flow of blood is, is healed. The deaf and blind men are healed. And the all manner of diseases are healed later on. And Jesus has compassion on the crowds. And all of that happened on the other side of the Gergesenes. It might have happened, some of that might have happened there, but all of it happened on the other side. And if you like it, this is a picture of our society because we have said to God, go. Go out of our schools. We want you out of our government. We want you out of any public affairs. Go. And God has said, all right. And we are reaping the rewards. Because in, in Romans nine uh, Romans one it says, because they did not like to retain God in their thoughts, God gave them over. We say to God, We don't want you. We don't want to think about you. And God says, All right, you reap the consequences of what you have sown. This is our society. And this is why the people of God are so important. Because we desperately need God to come and touch our society. Because the only thing that can awaken this society is a movement of the Spirit of God. And the only thing, the only people that can bring that to bear in our society to stand for truth, to make it public, no matter what the cost, that God could touch the hearts of people are the people of God. So why are we here? What do our lives mean? 
They mean this, that in this day, when the society is collapsing, we have to say there is truth. There is truth. And keep saying it, no matter what the cost. And please God that it would touch the hearts of many. Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. And we need to soak in this, to meditate it, on it, to believe it, and to speak it to a desperately needy world. Amen. Father, we come at a very serious time for our nation and for the whole of the Western world, which we see struggling with this COVID thing, but also collapsing in its core truth. And we pray that the people of God would rise up at this time. We here in the Southeast, in Narakot, and throughout this land, and uphold the word of life, and hold out the word of truth to a needy world. And we pray that there would be a genuine touch of Spirit of God-inspired revival, a Pentecostal touch, because we so need it. And that is the only hope for our land. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for church today. We pray that this message deepened your relationship to Christ and drives you to action. Our church is at 1 McDonald Street, Naracourt, South Australia, 10 a.m. Sundays, and you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please consider leaving a review as it helps to expose people to the gospel and great teaching across the nation. Thank you.